We do believe that we have been blessed so that we can be a blessing to others. As followers of Jesus, we don't believe that God blesses us so that it ends with us. That God blesses us so that we can then in turn bless others in his name. That is why one of the the things I love about this church is your generosity. You're so free with your time and you're so free with your money to bless other people in our community and even around the world. I can't thank you enough. You feed the hungry, you help the homeless, you come alongside the grieving, you give counsel to those who are struggling with life's decisions and issues, you help orphans in this city, you come alongside women who have been rescued from human trafficking, you support missionaries around the world as they are reaching out to some of the most needy and vulnerable in our society. On and on and on I could go about the way that you take the blessings that God has given you and you pass them on to someone else. And we love being that kind of church. But we also know as followers of Jesus that the greatest way we can bless another person is by introducing them to Jesus so that they can receive the greatest blessing of all the blessing of knowing that their sins are forgiven, that they are right with the Holy God, that they have God in their life now and for eternity. And one of the things that we do as a church is we encourage you to introduce people to Jesus. But that can sometimes seem hard and it can seem scary. Whenever we start talking about personal evangelism, personally taking responsibility to share our faith in Jesus with someone else, we begin to feel a little a little not in our stomach. Well, I don't know if I can do that. What does that mean? Are you asking me to knock on doors of strangers? What if they ask me a question and I don't have the answer to it? What if they think I'm judging them and they get angry? What what are you asking me to do? But I think sometimes we've made sharing the gospel too complicated. That sharing the gospel is simply being a blessing to another person so that when God gives us the opportunity we can share with them Jesus and the difference that he has made in our life. And over this next month, we want to help you find a simple way to be a blessing to other people by introducing your family and your friends to Jesus. During the month of January, you guys wrote down hundreds of names of people in your own life, your family members, your friends, your co-workers, your neighbors, whom you are praying for to come to Jesus, but you're also praying that God will give you an opportunity to share Jesus with them. And so I want to partner with you and help you in a simple way that when God gives you that opportunity, you're going to be ready. Dave Ferguson, uh, the pastor of Chicago's uh, Christ Community Church, uh, developed a a simple acrostic using the word bless, B-L-E-S-S, and that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about how we can be a blessing to other people. Because after all, that's the heartbeat of God. It always has been the heartbeat of God to bless the world. In fact, I don't know if you remember when God called Abraham to be the, the father of faith for the Hebrew people. Before there was a Hebrew people, God chose a man named Abram who was living in the city of Ur in Chaldea centuries ago. And this was an old man with no children. He and his wife were barren. And God says, I'm the one true living God. And if you will simply put your trust in me and obey me and follow me, I'm going to bless you. And through you and your descendants, 
I'm going to bless the world. It was God's way of saying, I'm going to choose this family through whom I'm going to bring the Messiah, Jesus, the Savior. And in Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, this is what God said to Abram. This is the covenant that God made to Abram. God said, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God says to Abram, I know you don't have any children, but I'm going to give you so many descendants, you won't even be able to number them. But one of your descendants is going to be the one who can bless all the families, all the peoples, all the nations of the world. I'm going to send the Messiah through you. And what a great blessing that God gave Abram and Sarah a child Eventually more than one. What a blessing. But that wasn't the only reason God blessed that couple. He blessed them so they could be a blessing to others. And God blesses us today so that we can bless others. It's not just about us. It never was just about us. It's about God blessing us so that he could then use us to join Jesus in his mission to bless the world. That's why before Jesus went back to the Father in heaven, having died on a cross for our sin, having risen from the dead on the third day, he gathered his disciples together on a mountainside, and he gave them what we sometimes call the Great Commission. So he's saying to them, when I go back to heaven, here's what I'm sending you out into the world to do. He said in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. It's not just about the Jewish nation. It's not just about these handful of believers that had a first-hand encounter with Jesus. No, Jesus blessed them with all that he gave them so they in turn could be a blessing to others, to the world. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus has the world on his heart. Jesus has others on his heart. Jesus has you and your family and your friends and your co-workers and your neighbors on his heart. And he wants to bless you so you can in turn be a blessing to others. And the greatest blessing you can ever give someone is to introduce them to Jesus. Now, of course, you and I can't make anyone follow Jesus I like what one pastor said. He said, you know, you can't make somebody fall in love with Jesus, but you can arrange the date. You can, you can get Jesus and that person together, let them meet, and then let Jesus handle the rest. And I think that's a great privilege we have as followers of Jesus. And the challenge I'm going to issue to you today is to be a blessing by joining Jesus on his mission in this world to save people from their sin and to bring them into a relationship with God the Father. It's the greatest blessing money cannot buy, death cannot take away. It can change a person's life. It can change families. It can change your community. It can change your workplace. It can change this nation. It can change our world if more people come to receive the blessing that is in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior.
And I do like this idea of being a blessing. In his book, The Missional Entrepreneur, Mark Russell wrote about a study that had been done among two groups of missionaries that went to Thailand a few years ago. He, he, the, the study called one of those groups the converters, and, and they called the other group the blessers, because these two groups going to the same country went with two different strategies. The converters went with the idea that we're going to evangelize and convert as many people as we can. It's all about getting in front of as many people, presenting the claims of Christ to as many people as possible, irregardless of relationships. The blessers, on the other hand, said, listen, we just came because we want to be a blessing to the people in the community that we're serving. And as a result of being a blessing by meeting needs in this community, we're going to be able to answer the question, why are you doing this? Where do you get the hope that you have? And in that moment, we're going to be able to tell people about Jesus. And after two years, this research study said that the blessers actually had more social impact for good than the converters. And the blessers reached 50 times more people with the gospel of Jesus and baptism than those who went with just the idea of converting people, converting people. And they said the lesson is if we love people and then take opportunities when they ask, why are you doing this? Who are you? What makes you tick? To be able to tell them about Jesus, more people will receive it because now they see our heart. Now they see our love. Now they see that we don't want something from you. We want something for you. And so we want to talk about being a blessing. So the acrostic, B-L-E-S-S. B stands for begin with prayer. That's what we're going to talk about today. L stands for listen with care. And then E stands for, my favorite, eat together. The first S in bless stands for serve in love. And then the final S stands for share your story. And there again, we're going to talk to you about how to do this in your own personal life. Anyone can do this. No matter who you are, what your age is, no matter how much you know about the Bible, whether you've been a Christian for 40 years or you just accepted Christ yesterday, every one of us can be a blessing to others. So when you think about that person you want to influence for Christ, just begin with prayer. Start talking about them to God. Pray about them. Pray for opportunities. Pray that God will meet the needs of their life. When you're hanging out with them, listen with care to what they're dealing with, to what their struggles are, what their questions are, what their worldview is, what their needs are. Listen. And then eat together. That just simply means you can't just do this quickly. You're going to have to spend time with people, build relationships with people, hang out with people, get to know people, become friends with people. And then serve them with love. You're serving them not So that you can make a convert. You're serving them just because you love God. And you love them. And you want to meet a need. And we serve people and try to meet needs of people. Whether they believe like we believe or not. And then finally. God's going to give you an opportunity. To share your story. Of how Christ has changed your life. And is changing your life. And so we're going to help you understand what this means. But we want to begin today with. That first letter, B, begin with prayer. I'm going to take you today to a New Testament book, 1 Timothy chapter 2. 
We're going to look at uh, verses 1 through 6. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. I'm going to put the words on the screen, but it's so much better when you see it with your own copy of God's Word, either your Bible or your phone with the Bible app. And so 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 6 is a great passage where the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to this young pastor named Timothy. Paul had led Timothy to faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Paul then invites Timothy to join him in the mission of reaching other people with the same good news of Jesus that had changed Timothy's life. And so Timothy joins Paul on some of his missionary journeys. But eventually, Paul sends Timothy to Ephesus to be the pastor of the church in the city of Ephesus. Paul is now in prison because of his faith in Jesus, and so he's writing a letter back to Timothy to encourage Timothy as Timothy's leading his church. And Timothy's a young pastor, so he needs some guidance from an older pastor. And one of the things that Paul instructs Timothy to do is to teach on prayer and to make sure that the church is a praying church. And he wants Timothy to understand the connection, the vital connection between our prayer life and our witnessing to people who need Jesus. So in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, Paul writes, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings. Paul's referring to all kinds of prayer. He's using almost every word he can think of to describe prayer. Supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings. He's talking about when you talk to God, use all kinds of prayers. When you pray for people, use all kinds of prayers whenever you pray for people. Pray for all people and use supplications. That's a fancy word that just simply means bring your request to God. Bring your needs to God. And say, God, this is what I'm asking for. Sometimes we ask for ourselves. God, I need this. I need, I need help in my marriage. I need help in my finances. I need help in my health. I need help in raising my children. And God welcomes our prayers. No matter what it is we're facing, He loves it when we bring our needs to Him in prayer. But often, our prayers can become self-centered. We ought to also pray for other people. Bring the needs of other people to the Lord. And then he uses the general word for talking to God. He says, I urge then that supplications and prayers. This is just a general word in the scriptures that talk about talking to God. Any kind of prayer. But you're consciously coming into the presence of God, communicating with God. And he uses the word intercessions. The word that Paul used in the original Greek language spoke of someone coming to a king. And, and bringing a case before a king. And for us, when we intercede, we're praying to God for someone else. I'm praying for you now, not just for me. I'm praying for you, not just for me. I'm bringing your needs before the Lord on your behalf. I'm interceding for you. We ought to pray for other people. And of course, he says in thanksgivings. Part of our prayer life ought not to be just, I need, I need, I need. I want, I want, I want. Sometimes we need to say, God, thank you. God, thank you for being faithful. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for my family. Thank you for your, my friendships. Thank you for this great day I've got. 
We need to come to God with thanksgiving. All kinds of prayer for all kinds of people. Because he says in verse 1, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Who should you pray for? All people. This means, first of all, all kinds of people. All classes of people. We ought to pray for people indiscriminate of their race, their creed, their their conduct, their politics, their language, their lifestyle. We ought to find it a privilege to pray for every kind of person. But not just all kinds of people. Paul wants Timothy to make sure his church is praying for all people. Pray for people, the people you know, the people in the sphere of your influence, and even people you don't yet know. When's the last time you prayed for our world? When's the last time you prayed for our nation? When's the last time you prayed for people across the sea? When's the last time you saw something on the news and you stopped right then and you prayed for those people? Pray for all kinds of people. And he says specifically in verse 2, for kings and all who were in high positions. Because perhaps Paul knew Timothy would say, well, do you mean we ought to pray for Nero, the Roman emperor? He's wicked. He's vile. He's immoral. Paul's writing this letter probably in the year A.D. 62, somewhere in that area. So Nero, Nero is getting worse and worse by the day. By the time it's over, he will blame the Christians for a great fire that consumed a huge part of the capital city. And he will murder and martyr and crucify and impale on stakes and burn at the stake thousands of Christians. Surely you don't mean we pray for him. Yeah, you really ought to pray for him. If, if your leader is not saved, pray they get saved. Because that would be better for you if you have one that, that knows God. But even if they're not Christian, pray that God will use them and guide them to bless your society with peace and tranquility. Because it's easier for the gospel to go forward in those kind of times. So pray for all who were in high positions. And why should we pray? Because prayer changes things. And prayer changes us, not just our circumstances. Prayer does something in here before it does something out in the world. This is what he says as we continue with verse 2. Pray for kings and all who are in high positions. Why? That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. One of the reasons you ought to pray for all kinds of people, including the politicians over you, either at the top and those who are more close in your community, is so that as a result of your prayers and the result of God at work in their hearts, we will be able to lead peaceful and tranquil lives. And so that we will lead godly and dignified lives. There's no sense in praying for your leaders if you're not going to then try to live a godly and dignified life. But true prayer changes things, and it changes us. And the whole purpose of this prayer that Paul is about to get to is not just about politics, and it's not just about our community. 
He's trying to get us to pray for all people, including for kings and people in authority, including politicians and city council members and mayors and governors. He's wanting us to pray for these people so that they can help bring calm, tranquility to our culture, so that we can live godly lives and peaceful lives. But there's something bigger going on so that we can then take advantage of the blessings we enjoy in our culture and keep sharing the gospel even more. It's all about the gospel. Remember, it's not about God just blessing you and it ends with you. We want God to bless us, to bless our community, to bless our leaders, so that we in turn can be a blessing. Here's how he puts it. He's going to tell us in verses 3 and 4 that prayer for others to be saved pleases God. God's honored with this. God rejoices in this. This is God's will that we pray like this. Verse 3, this is good. Talking about this kind of prayer for all people. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. You ever wondered how you can please God? It's right here. Here's a way you can please God. You don't have to pray about whether you should pray. Praying to God, all kinds of prayers for all kinds of people so that you can have an opportunity to share Jesus with them pleases God. He smiles on that. He favors that. He blesses that kind of prayer. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, verse 4, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's God's heartbeat. That's God's desire God's heart breaks for those who don't yet know Him through faith in His Son, Jesus. God is ready to pour out His blessing of favor and grace and mercy and forgiveness and love on all who will turn to Jesus, His Son, and trust Him. That's God's heartbeat. That's why God is pleased when we pray for opportunities to be a blessing to others. Because He desires all people to be saved. And to come to the knowledge of the truth of Jesus. The truth that Jesus is God's son. Lived a perfect and righteous life. Went to a cross and died for us. Representing us. Being our substitute for punishment. And he died. But he also rose from the dead on the third day. And he promises in John 3.16. You knew I'd get there, didn't you? If you're coming to our church any length of time. You knew I would work it in. That God promises, for God so loved the world that whoever believes in Him, Jesus, will not perish but have everlasting life. That's the truth that pleases the Father. That's the desire that He has for people. That's the truth He wants them to hear and to believe and to embrace. And my question is, is that your heart? Is that what motivates you? Is that the passion of your heart? Is, does that fill your prayer life? Because often what fills our prayer life is very selfish. It's just about us. Bless me, bless me, bless my four, no more. But I think revival happens in my life and in your life when my prayers start getting filled with the names of other people who have yet to come to faith in Jesus, and I want God to use me to introduce them to the Lord that I know and I love. That the same desire that God has for people to be saved is the desire in my heart 
That the same desire that people come to the knowledge of the truth that God has is the same desire that I have. Now, sadly, this doesn't mean that every person is going to be saved from the penalty of their sin automatically. Because God's given every single one of us free will. We can either receive the truth about Jesus and humble ourselves before Him and acknowledge Him as our Lord and our Savior, or we can choose to reject Him. But it doesn't change the fact that the heartbeat of God is that none perish in their sin. And the heartbeat of God is that you and I, who have been blessed by His grace, be a blessing to other people. He continues in verse 5, For there is one God. There is one God. There aren't many ways to heaven. And this is very offensive to people in our modern pluralistic society. Someone called me a fascist hiding behind a Bible one Sunday after a sermon I preached. You know what my sermon was? John chapter 14, where Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know. And the way, you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And folks, that would be narrow-minded, bigoted, judgmental. If Ricky said it, but it's Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who went to a bloody cross and said, there's one God. There aren't many ways to heaven. You're going to have to come through me. In fact, Paul continues in verse 5, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. I don't know if you've ever had to go to mediation for any reason, but that's typically when there are two estranged parties. They're sitting on opposite sides of the table. And boy, that is illustrative of what's going on. There's a broken relationship. There's an unresolved issue. One's on one side, the other's on the other. And it takes a mediator, a third party to come in and to sit down And to represent both sides and try to bring them together and try to bring peace, try to do what's right. On one side of that table is God in his righteousness, his holiness, his perfection. On the other side of the table, me, totally opposite of him, unrighteous, sinful, rebellious, stubborn, self-centered, care more about myself at times than other people, certainly care more about myself than God. The God who loved me, the God who created me, the God who sustains me in the whole world I have, the God whom without him I would be nothing. And I've rebelled against this righteous, holy, loving God who wants to be my spiritual father, and I've rebelled against him. I only want him when he does what I want him to do. And there I am, and there God is. I can tell you, God doesn't need to move. He's done nothing wrong. 
I've done all the wrong. But you know what Jesus did? Being the one mediator between God and man. Is he put himself in the middle and he says, Father, I will take all the punishment that Ricky deserves. I'll take his punishment. That upholds your law. And then having died his death, you get to forgive him freely. How could I walk away from that mediation and not be willing to receive that offer? You mean I don't have to do anything? You mean I don't have to give money? You mean I don't have to try to do better and, and, and try to earn my way back into God the Father's good graces? No. Jesus does it all. All you have to do is trust in him and receive this great offer he's making you. There is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, verse 6, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. How does this peace between me and God happen? Because Jesus gave himself for me. He became the ransom. He became the payment for me to be set free from my sin and to be made right with a holy God. That is why Jesus said in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What a great offer. Can you think of a greater blessing than that? I can't. This is the greatest blessing in the world. And what our world needs more than anything is to receive Christ as their Lord and their Savior. And this church is committed to helping people come to know Christ as their Lord and their Savior. So how do I be a blessing to others? Begin with prayer. That name you wrote on that sign, some of you who said, I had to write every single name of my grandchildren on that sign. Begin praying for them. For some of you, it was a spouse. For some of you, it was a child of yours. For some of you, it was a friend, a neighbor. You wrote their name. God prompted you to write their name. Begin with prayer. Before you talk to them about God, maybe you ought to talk to God about them. Lift them up to God in prayer. You say, I don't know how to pray. Yes, you do. Just just. Take their needs to God. Just talk to God in general prayer. Intercede on their behalf. If they don't pray, you pray for them. And be careful to always give thanks to God. That he is a God who can make all things work together for good to those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Maybe you should pray, God, while I'm talking to you about them, I'm also going to ask you, what have you called me to do to be a blessing to them? God, what do you want me to do? How can I bless this person? What need can I meet in their life? How do you want to use me to take the blessing of Christ and to share it with somebody else? Maybe from this day forward, every time you guys gather in your life group, one of the questions you will ask before your group is over is, who have you blessed this week? Who have you prayed for? Who have you listened to with care? Not to talk, not to preach to them. Who have you just listened to? Gave them a shoulder to cry on. Who have you hung out with and eaten with or exercised with? 
Who have you served this week? Because you love God and you love them. And who have you shared your story with this week? Can I tell you something? If that becomes the topic of conversation in our staff meeting here at this church, in our life groups in this church, in the hallways of this church, in the parking lot, at the lunch table after church today, if that becomes the conversation in your home, if that becomes the conversation on Facebook among church members, it will be revival. God will unleash his blessings on this community and your family like we've never seen before. But if the conversation is about us and just us, then we've missed the heart of God. God blessed you so you can be a blessing to others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the stillness of this moment, I thank you for being a God who blesses. A God who pours out your love, your mercy, your forgiveness, your patience. God, I know in my life you've been so good to me. And I believe there are many in this room who would stand if they had time and say, God's been good to me. God has blessed me. God has forgiven me. God has restored me. In fact, I heard some people this morning singing out loud because these songs were their testimonies of how you've blessed them. And they praise you today, God. And God, we know deep down in our heart that you blessed us so that we could be a blessing to others. There's somebody else in our life that you want to use us to introduce them to Jesus, the source of all blessings. And so God, would you help us today to begin with prayer, all kinds of prayer for all kinds of people. And God, we're praying so that you'll give us favorable opportunities to share Jesus. Because God, your heart beats for those who are far from you And you don't desire that any would perish. You desire that they would all be saved. You desire that they would all hear the truth and embrace the truth of Jesus. And God, we know you give every single person a free will. But may we let them know how much you love them and the great offer of forgiveness and salvation that you have for them. So God, would you help us individually and as a church to be a blessing, and to begin with prayer. And God, there could be somebody in this room this morning who for the first time realizes I'm that one who needs Jesus. God, if that is the person today, I pray that right now where they sit, they would say to you, dear God, I admit to you I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus is your son who died for me on the cross. And I confess my sin and I confess my faith in the risen Jesus. I received this great gift of his love and forgiveness through his own sacrificial death and resurrection for me. And it's in Jesus' name we all pray. Amen.